The news for March 26 begins with this article on profiteering. One of the many evils arising out of the late war, and probably one of the worst, is the reign of the profiteer. Of all the evil consequences which have arisen, that of profiteering calls most loudly for reformatory measures, as the consumer is being victimised by a system of trading that is nothing less than a conspiracy to defraud him of anything like a fair return for his money. Nearly every branch of manufacture is being exploited, and while this is allowed to continue by a government which has failed to grasp the significance of the present-day trend of events. It is clearly the duty of the government to protect the people of Australia from these harpies who are at present preying upon them. From the Hue and Times in Tasmania for Friday 26 March 1920, this was the news. This was the news is a fortnightly podcast that takes the news of this day, but many years ago, and shares it with you in one news update. With clippings out of papers around Australia, I'm Broderick Matthews with yesterday's news here for you today. Today's news is coming to us from Friday, March 26, way back in 1920. At this time in Australia, the reigning monarch was King George V and Billy Hughes was Prime Minister, leading the Nationalist Australia Party, which had formed as a coalition during the First World War. And at this time, Australia was still a country recovering from the First World War. As it said in the Melbourne Argus, there has been a great war and trade and industry throughout the world are so far from normal that no one with knowledge of the situation would venture to predict what the future has in store. A past quite similar to the future today. In this time of uncertainty, there were certain things going on and this article from The Age talks about a jam census of all things. An order was gazetted yesterday under the War Precautions Regulations requiring all persons, firms and companies having in their possession on 20th March stocks of jam in quantities exceeding £100 to furnish returns in respect of the same to the Chief Commissioner of Prices on or before 30th March. The returns must include the descriptions under which the jam is usually sold or known, the total weight of each description of jam held, and the place where it is stored. Quite a strange article indeed, but I think the authorities at the time just wanted to uh, conserve whatever fruit was out there and make sure resources weren't going to be spread too thin. (laughs) Speaking of resources, the price of kerosene in 1920 was something that was high. I mean, who can predict the rising motor oil prices? At the time, it was due to international currency depreciation. Speaking of currency, I think it's worth turning the page to this international news reported in The Advocate from Bernie Tasmania on the decimal system. The Royal Commission in London, appointed to inquire into the advisability of introducing decimal coinage, reported against the proposal, declaring that the advantages to be gained in keeping accounts by that system are in no wise commensurate with the loss of convenience under the existing system. The report also states that bankers and financial houses in England consider that no great benefit to overseas trade is to be expected from the adoption of the decimal system. 
Yes, I love the English here saying, why adopt this decimal system of 100 cents to the dollar? Makes much more sense to have 12 pennies in a shilling, 20 shillings to the pound. You know, don't, easy maths right there. Hey, folks. Speaking of the English, Australia was also preparing at the time for a royal visit. And this piece in the Bathurst Times had a little bit to say about that. The Prince will not visit Bathurst. The loss is the prince's, for he would have seen the choicest inland city in Australia. To visit New South Wales and not see Bathurst is akin to calling on the British and not looking at London. However, Bathurst will have a visit from General Birdwood, so that is something. Yes, those Bathurstians looking on the bright side of life. Instead of getting a visit from the prince, they got to see General Birdwood, who was an ANSAC commander during Gallipoli, leading the landings on the peninsula and the retreat later in 1915, and also led on the Western Front towards the end of World War I. So maybe not uh, a prince attending, but certainly get to see a war hero. And to finish off the first part of the news, this piece on a strange blunder from the advertiser in South Australia. That there should be two Alice Carters lying critically ill in the same hospital, and that one should die, and the relatives of the other be notified of the death, is scarcely believable. Yet such an occurrence did actually happen recently, with the result that much pain and inconvenience was caused to an Adelaide family. Some days ago, Mr J. Gray of Adelaide was notified of the death of his sister, Mrs Alice Carter, at the homeopathic hospital in Melbourne. Advertisements were inserted in the newspapers, the family went into mourning, and Mr Gray left for Melbourne to make arrangements for the interment. When he reached the hospital, he discovered that his sister was living, that another patient of the same name had died, and that the hospital authorities had mixed the addresses. It's quite a mix-up indeed, but uh, better than the other way round, I think. At least uh, Mr Gray turned up to find his sister alive and well. Let's take a short break now. When we come back, folks, we're going to dive into the 1920s version of fake news being sprouted by Americans. To restore the natural colour to the hair which has become grey too often prematurely is a virtue possessed by Lithone, a specific which has been on the Australian market for many years. A little Lithone massaged into the hair occasionally will, if the hair is becoming grey, restore it to its natural colour. Lithone contains no oil and it does not stain the whitest fabric. It is in no sense of the word objectionable, but on the contrary delightful to use, and its efficacy has been proved by thousands of gratified users throughout Australia. We can recommend it with the greatest competence. Three and nine, postage ninepence from Craig's Pharmacy Cairns. A word of warning. It is advisable to take some statements in present-day newspaper advertisements with a grain of salt. Apparently, all that some papers care about is the cash that goes with the advertisement. Before taking any patent medicine or using any toilet requisite, it is advisable to get the advice of someone who understands these things. Your local chemist is the right man to apply to. 
What the average chemist does not know about patent medicines, toilet goods and the like is not worth knowing. Another point. The law does not protect you from unqualified persons who soil chemists' goods, so that one should be suspicious of fish shops, fruit shops and grocers who make a sideline of chemists' goods, headache powders, etc., when their knowledge of these things is almost nil. Buy your chemist's goods and baby foods from a qualified person who is able to advise you about these things. Cornell's Pharmacy is the address. Some amazing products there from 1920. And that brings us back to the news of today, 26th of March, over in 1920. And our next piece from the Dubbo Liberal and Macquarie Advocate brings a bit of fake news being dispelled over here in Australia in an article entitled The Liquor Campaign. The Protestant Hall was crowded on Tuesday night to hear Mrs Eva Wheeler deliver a lecture in favour of prohibition. Mrs Wheeler is a gifted American lady who is at present in Australia on the invitation of the Women's Christian Temperance Union to fire the first shot in the campaign of prohibiting the liquor traffic in Australia. I don't know how many shots she'll be doing. She is an eloquent and forceful speaker with a pleasing personality and an unlimited fund of humour, and during her lecture proved that she was an elocutionist and entertainer of a high order. Now that might be true, but I think she's just really good at buttering her audience up, as you'll realise as the article continues. Mrs Wheeler prefaced her remarks by saying how pleased she was to visit the great Commonwealth. The first she knew of Australia was, when a girl at school, she was taught it was the largest island in the world. Afterwards, she learned with pleasure that Australia had given the franchise to her womenfolk. Then, the eyes of the world were attracted to Australia when she sent such a large and gallant army to fight for the empire overseas without conscripting a man. No other country in the world had done this. She spoke of the life of the Aussies and the Yankees in the trenches. Wherever they met, they fought amongst themselves. But when the shot and shell was whistling round them, they were pals and fought together, each relying upon the other for assistance and support. The time had come, she said, when all the English-speaking peoples of the world must stand together as one great brotherhood. But there was an enemy of the people which must be vanquished, and that was the liquor trade. This was the enemy which first gave thousands of their young folk their first drink and started them upon a life of degradation and shame. At one time, the liquor trade was lawful in the United States, but now, thank God, it was an outlawed trade. She repudiated the statement made by the enemies of Prohibition that crime had increased under Prohibition. The court records would prove that this was not so. Yes, folks, this is where she gets into dispelling the fake news that was out there about Prohibition. It was being said that Prohibition was a war law and not the will of the people of the United States. This she denied. The states had passed a law stating that the manufacture, sale, exportation or importation of liquor be discontinued from January 1920 forever. 45 out of 48 states had voted for this. 
It was also said that prohibition had caused taxation to rise. Now, during the first two or three years, a slight increase in taxation was necessary, but afterwards it was not felt. It was further urged that prohibition limited business, but the only business it affected were those of the undertakers and gravediggers, the divorce courts and the criminal courts. Yes, what a dispelling of all the fake news out there. Prohibition doing good for the community. The article even goes on to talk about the fact that all the liquor trade really benefits are the Germans and the criminals across the border in Mexico. Not the sort of news you'd expect to hear from someone born in the US of A. And as we turn the page, in 2020 at the moment, we're in a period of working from home and trying to find joy and routine in that. But I thought this article from 1920 in the Broadford Courier, Victoria, about how to be happy, though working, might have some good advice for us today. If you follow the advice given here, you'll enjoy your work and be happy. Probably the first thing you said to yourself when you saw the title of this article was, ah, but my work isn't enjoyable. It isn't what I want to do. I don't get enough out of it. Believe me, there are several recipes for making any kind of work a pleasure, only they are so simple that people don't believe in them. The first thing to do is to get interested in your job, by hook or by crook. All work is interesting when it is viewed in the light of a process calling for the exercise of brains. For example, the more monotonous your job, the more precision and skill become interesting problems. The effort to attain real skill, whether it be of muscle or of finger or of eye, becomes a fascinating study in itself. The athlete and the sportsman find untold pleasure in training themselves to become proficient. The acquirement of style, which is nothing more or less than the ability to do a thing swiftly and easily, with the greatest accuracy and with the least nervous commotion, is the enduring attraction of all sports and games. Apply this attitude, then, to your work. You'll find that job of yours becoming a different proposition altogether. Dwell on the fact, too, that your job is a necessary link in a chain of great consequence. Watch or imagine the sequence of the other links. Picture their significance. Determine that your own link, however small it may be, shall be at least reliable. All this will bring you a new feeling towards your work, one which, in turn, will create its own happiness. And I hope, folks, that that does bring you a bit more happiness in your work, however you might be doing it, in the here and now. Let's have a short break, and when we come back, it's time for the social news. Be prepared. A change in your food and water often brings on diarrhoea and no one should travel from home without taking a bottle of Chamberlain's colic and diarrhoea remedy with them. It cannot be procured on the train or steamship and that is when it is most likely to be needed. Chamberlain's colic and diarrhoea remedy can always be depended upon to give quick relief and when reduced with water is pleasant to take, sold by all storekeepers.
Do you intend to own a motor car? If you do, the Ford is the car. Several satisfied owners in this district. Will you make another? We have just placed an order for a gentleman who used one of the first cars ever made by Ford. This speaks for itself. Have you thought of the enjoyment of an evening spin after your hard day's work? It will recreate you. Don't delay. Let us motor you to Tarrant's, where you can choose your own style of car. The Defence Department's business board, after sitting several days, decided to standardise their fleet of motor cars, and after going into the matter carefully with their experts, decided on one car, and that was the Ford. They've placed an order for a hundred of these cars. Come get your Ford now, Clark and Son, Ford dealer. Rounding out this week's news from March 26, 1920, with the amusements and social news, because who doesn't enjoy reminiscing about going out and doing things? Coming from the Darling Downs Gazette in Queensland. Few greater thrills have been shown in picture play than that of the parachute descent by Edith Johnson in A Fight for Millions at the Empire on Saturday afternoon and evening. At bay on the top of a precipice, she improvises a parachute from her khaki skirt and jumps from the dizzy height to avoid her would-be captor. That women can be brave is more than proved in this extraordinary feat at the risk of her life. So come along to the Empire Theatre this Saturday to see that movie. Meanwhile, in personal news, this from the Australian in Perth, WA, with some Goldfields gossip. There are many new faces in Kalgoorlie these days, and scores of people who were well-known here a decade ago are drifting back. The leading hotels are full, and proprietors of second-rate houses that have not had a lodger for years are dusting up the long-deserted bedrooms. The gold boom is the magnet. Meanwhile, Mrs Warwick and her charming daughters have returned to their home on Great Boulder Mine, after some months' residence at Wandron. Everyone welcomes them back. Moving around Western Australia now to Pinjelly, these personograms published in The Great Southern Leader. Mrs W. Fenton left on Saturday morning's train on a visit to friends at the coast. Meanwhile, the man with a pound or two wants to know who Violet has been jazzing with lately. Jock puts his defeat at Wagen down to Danny keeping him awake by snoring all night. And finally, Sid Picks was seen downtown shopping on Saturday night, the first time since he's been married, which is 15 years. And to round it all out from the Gundagai Times in New South Wales, this bit of celebrity gossip. Mr Henry Lawson, the renowned poet, paid Gundagai a visit during the week. He's holidaying at Kulak. And with that social and celebrity news, we come to the end of this update. For March 26, 1920, this was the news. This Was The News is a podcast spoken and edited by Broderick Matthews. All source material is taken from the reference newspapers and found online through the National Library of Australia's Trove website. Links to each of the articles mentioned today can be found in the show notes. The theme music is from Beethoven's Symphony No. 6 and sourced under public domain from newsopen.org. 
If you enjoyed today's show, make sure to subscribe and review it on iTunes, Spotify, or your favourite podcasting app. This Was The News can be followed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and any email correspondence should be sent to thiswasthenews at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The next episode will be out in a fortnight, released on Thursday, 9 April. I'm Broderick Matthews, and this was The News.